At the beginning of the year, I mentioned in uh, a sermon that we're going to continue on in Second Corinthians, but that about once a month, I was going to uh, we're going to change and uh, talk about something else. And this is one of those weeks. Um, today, I'm going to speak on being biblically pro-life. Now, the pulpit is not for the expression of political opinions but for the proclamation of God's word. However, there are times when God's word speaks clearly about a matter which is also a matter of public debate. When this is the case, there can be a reticence to proclaim God's word because we don't want to be misunderstood as getting involved in political discourse or we might be afraid of offending those who may have a different political opinion. But we must always be willing to bring God's word to bear, not only on the topics which are non-controversial, but also on the topics which ignite strong feelings. Though we must strive to be at peace with all men, as we're told in Romans 12.18, we must never compromise the truth in order to do so. We must also be very careful about using scripture for the purposes of political debate. We must not make something out to be a biblical issue if indeed the scriptures really do not address it. It seems to me in the case of abortion that the scriptures do speak clear enough even though they don't address the subject directly but the thinking goes something like this God made all things including people with souls made in his own image and he's told us to treat other people as those made in his image he's given us a commandment therefore do not kill the sixth of the ten commandments as we read them a few minutes ago And just as in the past, slavery was rationalized by denying the personhood of the slaves, so also today, the personhood of the unborn has been questioned. So, can we address the question of whether the unborn are fully human? Are people people before they're born? Even though the Bible doesn't answer this directly, as I said, it gives us a sufficient number of indicators. And so, let's look at some of those. What is the status of the unborn according to the scriptures? First of all, Psalm 139. The psalmist is talking about being in the womb as if he was fully a person in the womb for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret not just that my body was being made in secret but I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth your eyes formed my unformed substance in your book 
were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Also in the Psalms, in 51 verse 5, David says, In sin did my mother conceive me. And he doesn't mean there that his parents were in sin when, they, when he was conceived, but that he has been a sinner ever since the moment of his conception. You can see that from the context of Psalm 51, where David is grieving over the extent, the vast extent of his sin. So if a sinner, then a person. In the story of the birth of Christ, when Elizabeth is at home and Mary comes to visit her, Mary who's conceived Jesus in her womb, when Elizabeth hears the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb, who's John the Baptist, of course, the baby leaps in her womb. And he's referred to as a baby. The same language in Greek that, like what we in English, you know, we use the word baby to refer, you might refer to someone in the womb, but also outside the womb. And the same thing in Luke one forty-one there. And then a few verses later, Elizabeth says, When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So she not only recognizes this as a baby, but that this baby has the capacity to experience joy and to have some recognition of the Lord who is just a few feet away. And when Elizabeth said these words, we're specifically told that, you know, it wasn't just an impression that she had, she said this by the Holy Spirit. And so, as Bible Christians, we believe that the unborn are fully human, and therefore we are pro-life. We oppose abortion, except with an ectopic pregnancy. Now I'm going to make a statement which might shock you. I think it's possible to be too pro-life. Now hear me out. There's another kind of pro-life which is greater than being pro-life with regard to abortion. And this is when now I'm going to read our passage this morning, 1 John 5.12, which talks about a different life, a higher life. It says, now, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, John obviously doesn't mean that, that, you know, people who don't have Christ are dead bodies lying on the ground. He's talking about a different kind of life. When we hear the word life, we usually think of earthly life. But there's a different kind of life which Christ is and which Christ gives. 
the life one has when he has Christ is a different kind of life. John 1, 4, in him was life. Talking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 5, 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. John 10.10 I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. John 14.6 Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So here we see over and over again this higher kind of life. Now, I don't want to minimize the abortion problem. If it truly is the taking of human life, as we believe, it is a great evil. And if human life truly is in the image of God, abortion is ultimately an attack on God himself. But the fact is, for the Christian... Being pro-life must not be our number one priority. Ultimately, abortion takes away earthly life. It does not take away eternal life. Abortion doesn't prevent a baby from enjoying eternal life. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ. As it says in the Westminster Confession 10.3. Being, and being pro-life does not give you eternal life. Even if you could somehow stop abortion and save all future unborn babies, you will perish like the rest if you are without Christ. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, Jesus said, and forfeits his own soul. Matthew 16, 26. As important as it is, being pro-life is secondary. Everything must be secondary to God's place in our lives. Family first? No. Family second. Safety first? No. Safety second. Everything second. Seek first the kingdom. First, we are pro-life with a capital L. Then, we are pro-life with a small case L. There's a great movie called Separate but Equal about the Supreme Court's process of deciding on the uh, decision Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. And some of the men who are working on this were uh, driving a car down this road and they heard on the news that the Supreme Court had made this decision and they pulled the car over and they got on the car and they knelt on the grass and they thanked God for this decision that was made by the Supreme Court and that's what I will do if I ever am driving and I hear the news on the radio that Roe versus Wade has been overturned 
But the fact is, that's not what we live for. Because we know that even if that happens, there will be plenty of other grim realities to grieve over. Coming to church each week is like pulling over and getting on your knees and thanking God that there is something bigger than all the difficulties and all the losses and all the injustices in this world. Thanking God that we've been delivered from all this. Thanking God that there's a day coming when everything won't be broken anymore. And people won't hurt each other. And when we won't sin anymore. So we are pro-life because of Christ. And we want to be pro-life in the way Christ tells us to be pro-life. We need to be biblically pro-life. And being biblically pro-life means a number of other things as well. You know, in Matthew 9.36, we're told that Jesus one day was looking out and there were crowds of people. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Seems to me if we're going to be biblically pro-life, we need to have the same attitude as Jesus. The fact is, partly because of abortion, we live in a society of brokenness. People carrying around a deep sense of shame. Perhaps some of those folks are here this morning. So many broken, hurting people who have no place to turn for hope, for healing, for peace, for grace, for meaning, for forgiveness. And it seems to me it's actually a day of great opportunity because so many people are so ripe for Christ. But we need to be very sensitive about the way we interact with them. We need to be very careful about how we talk about abortion. There are people for whom this is a very sensitive subject, very personal subject. Tragically, it's not difficult to find in the midst of the Christian community the same spirit that we're trying to condemn in the abortionists, the same disregard for the sanctity of human life. Enormous damage has been done by careless comments coming out of Christian mouths. Just like every other sin, we should not talk about abortion without talking about the gospel. What's the answer to, the, to abortion? It's the same as the answer to all other sin. Salvation in Christ. And I'm sure like me, you have heard many precious Stories of lives broken by abortion, but saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Almost always through some person who showed them the love of Christ and pointed them to Him. The gospel is for sinners. It's for the women who had an abortion. It's for the parents and the boyfriends and the husbands who pressured women into having abortions. The gospel is not for the good. 
The great physician did not come to heal the healthy. He came to heal the sick. No one is too dirty for the gospel. The gospel is for the dirty. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Pro-life with a small L is about saving babies. Pro-life with a capital L is about saving souls. When Jesus saw the harassed and helpless crowds, his stomach turned inside of him. If we can't likewise feel for people, we'll never be able to reach them. We need to pray for hurting people. We need to show concern for them. We need to treat them with gentleness and kindness. We need to show them our love, of, our love for life by the way that we treat them. We need to convey the blessing of forgiveness in the way that we speak about abortion. When it comes to abortion, outrage isn't enough. Outrage doesn't change hearts. And we need to not just have compassion. We need to have humility. For the fact is we are capable of the same sin as every other person. And to some degree, all of us do the same kinds of, a th- of things. We should look at the sin of abortion and see ourselves in the reflection. It's hard to say yes to another when it means saying no to yourself. It's so easy to spend someone else's money or to be careless with someone else's stuff or hurt someone else's feelings or waste someone else's time or create work someone else has to do all in the pursuit of our own happiness and pleasure it's so easy to be a big spender when it comes to me and a miser when it comes to you and we abuse power using it for ourselves instead of for others we are willing to steal little bits of other people's lives in order to enhance our own in order to protect our pleasures and obtain our ambitions this is what we do every time we make a mess and let others clean it up every time we drive recklessly for the fun of it or to show off to someone else This is what we do every time we look at another person with lust in our hearts. Or look at another picture of another person or a video of another person with lust in our hearts. It's the same thing. Every time we put our convenience over someone else's welfare, we've committed the same sin. Every time we make choices based not on faith, but on how we feel. Every time we disregard another person. Every time we think of someone as worthless or disposable. Every time we have disdain for them. Every time we throw them in the trash can of our minds. And this applies not only to individuals, but to categories of people. It might be old people. It might be parents, 
It might be little kids. It might be people of another political persuasion. People of another country. People who look different. It might be people who are sexually immoral. Or the insane. Or loudmouths. Or know-it-alls. Or bureaucrats. Or fans of our rival team. People can smell disdain a mile away. And you know what else they can smell a mile away? A sense of superiority. Isn't it interesting that history's greatest Christian, and I'm referring to the Apostle Paul, and that's just my opinion, isn't it interesting that history's greatest Christian called himself the chief of sinners? It's only in Jesus that real sinners like you and me can find hope and healing. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. It makes the wounded spirit whole, it calms the troubled breast. Tis manna to the hungry soul and to the weary rest. So it seems to me that being biblically pro-life means treating people with the love of Christ, even sinners who have committed obvious sins. Listen to Colossians 4, 6. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. That's a good rule of thumb. And now we come to the table where we celebrate the love of Christ. The source of grace for sinners like us. If, you know, no matter how much you love doing this, coming and partaking of this sacrament, this is... A blessing to you only if you come with humility. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. If we come proudly to Christ, we can expect only his opposition. We can expect him to try to thwart us. But when we come humbly... His heart opens to us and he is gracious and compassionate as a father to his children. So let us humble ourselves before the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we hear our own voice cry out among the mockers, crucify him. We know, O Lord, that your death 
was a result of our sin. That you paid a great price. And Lord, we also know that we are just scratching the surface in our own understanding of our sin. That it goes much deeper than we can even comprehend. So we humble ourselves before you. We cry out to you for your mercy. We thank you, dear Lord, that you have opened up a channel of grace towards sinners. We pray that as we partake of this bread and cup now, that this would not be just a ceremony to us, but that we would be feeding upon Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, and our only hope, and our only true food. For we pray in his dear name. Amen.